Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited to have a very special guest on here today. It's Dan Berger, the president and CEO of NAFQ, or the National Association of Federal Credit Unions. Dan, how are you doing today? Mark, I'm doing fantastic. Not as good as you down in Florida, but I'm, yeah. I'm doing extremely well here in Arlington, Virginia. You know, Arlington's a great place, but right now, weather-wise, I think I got you beat here in Hollywood, Florida. So, Dan, when I was at NCUA, I would see you at a lot of board meetings representing credit unions. And I would also see you on occasion on the seventh floor. I'd be walking down to a meeting and you'd be walking over to one of the board offices. And every time I'd see you, I would think I'm going to get a visit from a board member real quick because Dan's over there chatting with the board and he's got some ideas and those ideas are going to become ideas of the board and or they're going to say, hey, NC and after you said we could do X and I want to kind of check that out. Right. So tune your horn a little bit. You know, the consummate credit union advocate. And for those listeners who know Dan, they already know that. But, you know, you're always there trying to get good things done for credit unions and therefore credit union members. So kudos to you on that. And then for those who might not know your background before you got to NAFQ, maybe if you could kind of go into a little bit of that and then how that how you landed at NAFQ and credit unions. Yeah, sure, Mark. Thanks again for the opportunity to be on your terrific podcast. I grew up in Gainesville, Florida, been a, in the political realm, running political campaigns in high school and college. And then my first job out of Florida State University was lobbying for the Farm Bureau uh, down in Florida. And it just snowballed from there. I lobbied for the realtors, lobbied for various insurance companies, came up here and was chief of staff for a congresswoman. And then America's Community Bankers picked me up. And I was there for six or seven years. And then Corn Ferry came and recruited me to be the head lobbyist for NAFQ. And it was a great opportunity to have a larger portfolio issues and responsibilities. That's how I, I got to NAFQ. And then the board appointed me CEO and 2013, I believe, and I've been CEO ever since, and it's been a great ride. There's no better job in Washington, D.C. than being the CEO of NAFQ. To, to sit there and work on behalf of credit unions across the country, as well as Puerto Rico and Guam, it's a blessing. It's been a wonderful ride. I can't wait to get to work every single day. Yeah, I hear you. And credit unions are amazing. And credit union, what they do for their members, you and I are fortunate to have part of our careers and continuing on now. So, you know, so it's the beginning of 2023. You talked about kind of being in politics. I know that you work with that a lot in the role that you have and that you recently communicated NAFQ's priorities. Well, you 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 recently developed NAFQ's priorities and then are communicating them, uh, you know, to the powers that be in Washington, D.C. And I thought maybe today, since it's first, second week of January, I thought maybe we could walk through NAFQ's priorities as we head into this new year. Yeah, no, I'd be glad to. We operate a little differently than some trade associations. My board of directors sets the tone and the direction and the vision what they want us to cover because they want us to focus primarily on operational issues. 
And then so they create the direction and then we do the tactics and the strategy behind it. But we have kind of a, a multi-tier approach to it. They want us to talk about growth, technology and innovation, regulatory relief and fair market. And of course, data protection. And I'll just start with growth and then we can go down to some of the others. You got we, do everything, we do everything through the filter of trying to create a regulatory and legislative environment where credit unions can continue to grow and thrive and serve their 134 million American consumers, but also to provide opportunities for them to to serve the underserved in low-income areas and the unbanked. It's really crucial to have that ability and that flexibility, but to grow. Because none of us want four, if you go back to why credit unions were formed, nobody wants four big banks controlling everything, the, the, the robber barons that are out there. And so the importance of credit unions in to serve the 134 million Americans is really important. So the ability to grow is uh, probably our, our first focus. Well, and relative to that, there's things that for that to happen, there's things that NCUA could do regulatory. There's things that would change changes to the Federal Credit Union Act. I know that, for example, when NCUA was required to do the budget briefings or hearings or whatever you want to call them, I know that that forever you were an advocate of of there being an open forum relative to that and i think played a role in that getting changed in the in the federal credit union act are there specific things relative to the act or the regulations as it relates to growth you mentioned field of membership low income are there things there that you have on the horizon or that you're going to be asking ncua in particular or yeah, we come up with a list every year of changes that we would like in the Federal Credit Union Act. Yep. Field of membership is always at the top. And as you're well aware, because you were there and stuff, the more that we try to serve the unbanked in those financial deserts that are out there, the banks don't want some of these rural areas and some of these inner city areas, but credit unions do. And so we want to serve that. And of course, credit unions get sued. Well, the NCUA gets sued right. when, when you try to serve those people. And so that's a major focus. And, and I think there's some flexibility and things that the NCUA can do, but there's going to have to be some changes with the actual Federal Credit Union Act to be successful. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's that's a lot. A lot of situations where I've seen some credit unions buying banks is the other banks just don't want to serve those areas. So the credit unions come in and make the best offer or perhaps sometimes the only offer. Sometimes it's only credit unions that are offering so that those in those challenging areas continue to be served. Tech, so you, I think you mentioned technology yeah. and, and innovation as well. So let's speak a little bit to that side of things. Yeah, the technology and innovation, everybody talks about FinTech and, and I'll get to that a little bit later, but credit unions have to invest in, and have some partnerships in, in FinTech. They're not inherently bad. It's a commoditized term, as you know, so everybody has a different definition somewhat of FinTech, right. um, but you have to partner. I mean. Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, they, they have hundreds of software developers and technologists where credit unions, uh, for the most part, do not. And so to have those partnerships are really important. So it's extremely important that we also have that parity in order to invest with fintechs and, and to partner with fintechs. So that's our focus, just to make sure that they have the ability, whether it's regulatorily or legislatively, to continue to have those relationships with fintechs across the board. Yeah, I think it's Right now, the current makeup of the NCUA board seems to be very, I think all three of the board members from what I've seen are generally pretty open to that. It's been Kyle Houtman, Vice Chairman Houtman has been been really big on that that side of things as Rodney Hood, former Chairman Rodney Hood. And I think Todd is open to it as long as there's, you know, the safety and soundness 
structures around it. And the other thing is that there are some fintechs out there that have the ability to kind of steal members from credit unions. So it's almost as if credit unions don't get involved in some of those things, they're going to miss opportunities for, and that kind of links back to the growth side of things as well. Yeah. And everything, members, consumers want access to their money. And so they want to be able to operate and be able to have access to the money, to be able to transfer money in the frictionless uh, process. And so, yeah, you have to have that component. My fear is I don't want small financial institutions always chasing that shiny squirrel, the next big thing, and then just focus on the member engagement, that member experience, and make sure it's really positive and the best that it can be. Because if it's not, and you have, you know, everything's done on your smartphone, right? you know, and it's, that, that's your mobile branch. And if that experience isn't relatively easy and intuitive, you have an opportunity to lose members. But if it's if it works well, and it functions well and efficiently, you can gain market share in with that. And so it's important to have that technology and those partnerships with FinTech. Right. Well, you know, you, you had your phone. I've got mine right here, although it's disappearing on the screen when I hold it up. And I know that, you know, at times NCUA, I believe NCUA is looking at the field of membership. They've hinted that there might be some nibbling around the edges on the field of membership side of things. And I also know that there are some people on the seventh floor at NCUA who would like ultimately for this to be able to be a branch, right? Because the reality is when was the last time you were actually in a branch? What is the branch? Well, it is your phone. It is your iPad. It is your laptop. But there are some language in the Federal Credit Union Act that is not necessarily consistent with that, or maybe perhaps the general counsel at NCUA thinks it's a little bit of a bridge too far to get there yet. I actually think at some juncture, probably with the help of NAFQ and CUNA, that there's going to be a fork in the road where that's going to be allowed to be a branch relative to, you know, adding someone to your field of membership. The flip side of that is, and I know you're advocates, strong advocates of guarding the tax exempt status, right? So any thoughts relative to how those two, any thoughts in my opinion that that might be where we're heading and how those two worlds might collide or, or anything on that? I'm less concerned about a collision between increasing access to technology for credit union members and our, our tax exemption. But you're exactly right. We have to find a way to make the smartphone, the iPad, your laptop, whatever device you utilize to be a branch, because that's the way it is. Of course, my primary financial institution is a credit union. I haven't been into a branch of this credit union in probably seven years, maybe right. eight. And, and I do everything I want, direct deposit, bill pay. I mean, they basically control my entire financial life. Right. And it's done on my iPhone and I do it on a, on a regular basis. So that makes sense. And then everybody has, almost everybody has a cell phone. And so across, and that's what a terrific way to take care of some of the unbanked and the lower income folks that need access to financial services the credit unions offer. And it, it is through technology. And so to have the NCUA continue to take a look at it. But I think I, I agree with you that it'll probably take a minor change in the Federal Credit Union Act to really solidify that. So and that is something that we've been looking at and we've been talking about for years. There just hasn't been an appetite with all the other noise. Those sure. sure. And as you're explaining, it, it's clear to me that if that ever gets done, you know, your organization is going to have to play a, a big role in it. And it reminds me of my time at NCUA where I might have discussions with my other executives on things we'd want to do. And the board might not, a certain board might not have an appetite for that, right? But John Cutchie was my deputy executive director. We would have 
packages all ready to go, we would pop, you know, so new board members would come in, we'd want to talk about a concept so that if there was an opportunity to strike, we could strike. So we wouldn't have to go from zero to 60 the next day. And I'm, I'm presuming that's a little bit, I mean, you are, you're always out there talking about these things. NAFQ is ready to, you're always running that marathon, but you're ready to sprint if that opportunity comes up would be a ma- is be kind of how I guess things work there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Mark. And what we do is we'll have a list of things that we want from a regulatory standpoint, whether it's the CFPB or the NCOA or any of the other prudential regulators that are out there. But we also have a legislative wish list that we go through as well. And for the most part, almost everything's already pre-drafted. Right. We're ready to go and shop language and things like that. So when something comes up or a big train is moving and we try to attach things to uh, something that's actually moving, we're ready to go. Right, and, right, and, yeah. And so, but we do have a lot of pre-drafted stuff ready to go. Yeah, no, I, I thought that might be the case. Any thoughts relative to, well, I know you have thoughts on it, but could you, could you go into the uh, third-party vendor authority topic, which is something that NCUA always you know brings up and NAFQ has some opinions that differ a bit from what NCUA has thoughts on. Yeah, from the standpoint of we just don't believe the NCUA has the expertise to deal with it. And quite frankly, looking back at some of the examinations and talking to the CEOs that are going through the exams, you're already looking at some of these things. You're already talking about the vendors and some of the things that their their operations and the platforms that they utilize. So it's there. It just, we don't want any additional expenses. And we can get into that if you want to in terms sure. of budget, because that's a burr in my saddle too. But in terms of third-party vendor authority, we just don't think it's necessary at this time. Well, and I tend to agree with you that if they take it on, they're, they're inside the walls of NCUA. There are some people that believe that if they do get it, that they may not need to add a lot of resources to do it. My position is if they do get it to do it right and to serve it right, they'd have to add a lot of people. They'd have to add a lot of staff and they'd ha- it would have to increase the cost to credit unions. And the other thing as putting my old regulator hat on is NCUA, I think it's smart for NCUA to ask for it as long as they don't get it. Because when they get it, it's going to kind of be like the dog chasing the ice cream truck and then the ice cream truck socks and goes, OK, now what am I going to do? Right. And then if anything, you know, down the road, if there's some big disaster that happens when they're looking to blame how this all happened, NCUA can then say, well, we asked for it, but we didn't get it. Right. And then maybe at that juncture, there's a time that they should get it. But if they don't ask for it and it was a hole and they didn't point it out, you know, so there's always that side. I'd heard some conversations related to that. And there are some I can see why that's a position where they might want it. But I think I mean, I think NCUA truly does want it. Right. I'm not saying they don't, but that well, they want it. Yeah, they want it. And while they're dealing, you know, while we in this arena where it's the great resignation, we're saying staying fully staffed is a challenge. I want to say struggling, but getting fully staffed was always a challenge at NCUA. But right now it's a particular challenge. So focus on the majors. It would be where I would be at right now is let me get my exam team built out. We have, they have new specialists. They added regional electronic payment specialists last year. They're adding Bank Secrecy Act and consumer compliance specialists. Round those things and maybe ask for this again. But I support you fighting their need for that. Uh, there are different ways they get to it. They require due diligence of third parties, so they force the credit unions to understand it, which you could make an argument that's a better way to do it as well. So, And we agree. And it just they have access to a lot of that information already right. and to expand it and, and to hire dozens of people to, to deal with this. 
And, and like everybody and all the regulators, not just NCOA, they're all struggling with uh, personnel issues. They are. And retain. And it's not just NCOA, it's everybody. It's all of them across the board here in Washington, D.C. And, and so to add a whole nother division, and to your point, to really focus on the safety and soundness is what the you know, regulators' responsibility. Those are the areas that they need to really tie down and make sure that they have the personnel and the experienced personnel in those roles. And until that's done, this is something they need to pass on and, and look at maybe later. Right, right. I'd agree with that. So you mentioned the budget, you mentioned expenses. I know that Again, I mentioned the the they're required to have that budget briefing, and I'm sure you supported that being, or I'm guessing you supported that being added to the right. act. And, and the I know you're there every year, representatives of NAFTA are there to kind of say problems you might have with their proposed budget. But yeah, let's speak about the budget and the expenses. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, as you know, when I I think when I started at NAFTA, what it was 17 years ago, 16 years ago, there was what 15, 16 thousand credit unions, and now we're down to what 4,800. And so to continue to have a budget that goes up in almost double digits every year is extraordinary. And so there, I know it's 7.5% this year. It seems to us the resources are there. And some of those resources can be reallocated to, the, to different areas. And just seems, and you saw it for a while there, and I understand the slope and the degree of increases have been less, and we appreciate the board members doing that. But there's still a major concern with CEOs because the credits are paying for it. Their members are paying for it. And so that, that's like the number one issue going away. The NCOA keeps going up in their budget and there's less credits to examine. And so those issues get really extraordinarily difficult to talk about. And then you got the merit program and everything and, and the funding required for that. And then it seems to be a big black hole and it just keeps getting more expensive. And so that's just a top of mind. It just, as you know, Credit are running on such thin margins as it is, especially in this interest rate environment they're operating in and mortgages slowing down and auto loans slowing down in a lot of areas. And so it's just a major concern that in any increase in the NCAA's budget is, is less that credit unions can utilize to serve their members. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. And I know that the, the agency argument is while there's less numbers, credit unions are getting more complex and and there's the slides, some of which I helped develop back in the day that compare the cost of the FDIC compared to, to NCUA and the like. But And it's good to have that natural tension of opposite, opposites. I think that this is a, really with the heart of advocacy. You're there. You know, it, it, there's the you could if you let somebody take an inch, they'll take a foot. So the, the constant conversations that you have around that, they do make a difference because you ask the questions. And you educate the board from the credit union perspective uh, that senior staff at NCUA doesn't always have, which leads to a better dialogue and ultimately leads to a better budget. It might not be one that NAFQ would approve or that the credit unions would approve, but I assure you that the board pays attention and staff pays attention to what is asked of them in those briefings. So the fact is, we have tremendous respect for the staff of the NCUA and right. tremendous respect. Uh, for the NCUA board members, there is a tension there. And as long as it's done professionally and professional manner, and I'm an economist by education. And, and so I believe strongly in the data, in the metrics. And, and so, and it's just, I don't want any esoteric ideas out there getting funded or whatever. Those things matter. And, and so right. if you can really prove from a data standpoint, something's needed, we'll absolutely uh, take a close look at it and beat it up and get back to the regulators about it. But we, we look at everything very closely. 
We pride ourselves, quite frankly, as you know, when you're in that role there, we pride ourselves in being kind of the financial watchdog of the NCOA. Right. Some of that stuff doesn't, but there is a tension, and, but we try to do it professionally and friendly, you know, and we'll agree to disagree. And then there's things we agree on and there's things we don't agree on. And that's my role. I get it. My, you get it. Yeah. I'm paid, my colleagues here at NAFTA are paid to, to advocate on behalf of credit unions. And that tension is just inherent in the process. It's inherent. Yeah. And I didn't mean tension in a bad way. I just meant that's the, there's two sides to a story. Your side is to advocate for that. There's this to understand understand from the other side and fulfill their mission. And it reminds me, there's a book I refer to oftentimes called The Wisdom of Crowds. If you don't tap into the wisdom of crowds and learn from every angle and every stakeholder what it is you can do so you can make the best decision, you're not really optimizing those decisions. And so that leads to that process perfectly. So, so regulatory relief, we've talked a little bit about field of membership and different things. Any, a, lot any of focus, a lot of us, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, a lot of us, quite frankly, is focused on a lot of the CFPB. Okay. What we're really focused on, a lot of our members are really approaching that $10 billion mark pretty rapidly. And as you know, from your prior experience, but once you're at $5 billion or that number, you start hitting that $10 billion mark really, really quickly. Right. And we've been working really hard with the large credit unions helping, working closely with the NCOA as well as the CFPB, here's a checklist of things that you have to deal with when you hit that, or you approach that number and you hit that number. And so we've been really focused on a lot of the CFPB things like Reg E and some of the things that they're trying to do with, with the third party payment system and everything else. And so we're really taking a close look at some of those things on an extremely regular basis, if not every day. Well, and I would think along those lines, that 10 billion NCUA, the Office of National Exam and Supervision side of thing, they calibrated that up to 15 last year. It would be great if that CFPB could get uh, an inflation indicator added to it or or something similar. Is that something that is on your wish list or I, not possible? Or what's your thoughts I, on I that? I think that would be great. I just don't think there's an appetite. It's something that we've all talked about, I mean, for years. Remember, back in the beginning, NAFTA was one of the only trade associations that just really went against the CFPB overseeing credit unions. We just didn't think it was a necessary step and uh, still don't, quite frankly. At a minimum, it should be a commission or a board, just like the FDIC. I think that's an important change that needs to occur there. But yeah, I mean, the CFPB is looking at a lot of the non-interest income of financial institutions. Uh, they unfortunately came out with the terrible phrase junk fees, and that includes a whole list of things. And that just drives me absolutely crazy when they do that, especially for something that you opt into and, and that credit union members want in terms of we can debate NSF and things like that on, on a, a different podcast. But overdraft or courtesy pay, uh, it's a utilized service and something that the CFPB, I don't think, truly understands the surveys that even consumer groups have done, that that service is wanted and needed, quite frankly. Yeah, and if it goes away, it's worse for those people in need, not better. Yeah, and it sounds good that, hey, we're going to eliminate this, but then you got folks that are going to run into some serious difficulties and then embarrassment and any other things that if it goes away. And then I don't think it'll go away, but, you know, to go out there and, and continue to pound the term or the phrase junk fees over and over again, it's just inherently bad and, and quite frankly, not fair to the industry and not fair to the service. 
Agreed, agreed. That's that's a, a great point. So you mentioned in a perfect world, it'd be great to have a board or a commission at CFPB. I think the NAFQ board has 11 members and the NCUA board has three. NASCIS will oftentimes want an increase in the NCUA board mem- board members. And I as executive director, I liked having three because that was three plus three, their assistants. There's, there were only six mouths to feed and you've got 11, which, I, you know, which is good because it's that wisdom of crowd, but it, it's a lot of work, the bigger the board gets. But your thoughts on a big, you think the NCUA is right sized right now with the board? I level? think it's a perfect size, Mark. Thanks for asking that. Actually, interesting. I was on the phone yesterday with Brian Knight of NASCIS and we talk on a regular basis, as you can imagine, and he's doing a terrific job. Yes, yeah. That's one of his things is making it a dedicated for a state regulator or to increase the board size. There was a lot of talks trying to make it look like the FDIC board and all this other stuff. I don't want the CFPB on the NCUA board. And I'll just say it. I don't want it. State regulators have served on the NCUA board in, in the past. And in, as you're well aware, Correct. Bill, someone appointed with that experience is still there. But again, it comes down, I think three is the right number. I think it's you can control those expenses and watch it. I just don't want to, to add a, a diff, additional resources for another body or two. And I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, we're on the same page there for sure. I think you mentioned fair market as something that's a priority for this year. Any thoughts relative to that? Yeah, and you already mentioned it a couple of times, as did I, in, in terms of fintech. When the board wants us to focus on fair market, and it's not you know the partnerships with fintech we're looking at, it's those non-depository fintechs that are creeping into our marketplace, and they don't have the regulatory schematic that we do and the hoops that we have to jump through in terms of regulations and examinations. Those things matter. And so if you have a, an ability to start a a company in your basement in San Francisco and get up and running without any of those hoops to jump through and those costs. It's an unfair advantage, number one. And number two, the consumer is not protected. And, and so those that's, we're really focused heavily on that just to make sure that there's not mission creep and then gobbling them up because you're seeing some hiccups out there with some of those non-depository fintechs. And I think you continue to see some of those headwinds uh, going into 2023. And so that's one of the focuses is, you know, trying to maintain that fair market for all players. No, it's good. You got your eye on that. That's going to be interesting to see how how that plays out this year. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of times when the NCAA board members talk why they can't sleep at night, they talk about cybersecurity. And I know that they've tweaked what they're going to do on the exam side. I'm looking forward to seeing how that might play out here coming this year. But relative to that, cybersecurity, data protection, any thoughts on that arena and, and that side of the world? Yeah, that's our last high-level bullet point that the board wanted us focused on. A lot of it is holding retailers and, and merchants accountable. It's not the financial institutions that are necessarily getting hacked. It's it, it's the Home Depots. It, it's all the it's the targets. It's all these large big box retailers and stuff, and they don't have any skin in the game. And it's just you know it always reverts back. They don't call Home Depot you know when they get their new credit card and they're angry that something got shut down or their account got accessed. It, they call the credit union or they call the bank to have that dealt with. So we focus hard and a lot on data protection, trying to find some kind of national standard that everybody has to apply to Gramm-Leach-Bliley. And so that's probably the t- one of our top of the list for a legislative ask too. And so focused on it. We've been talking to the CFPB about it. And really, since it's in the realm of consumer protection and to take a look at it, and I, I think they may be doing that. And so it's, I think it's important that 
that issue stays front and center. And every time Home Depot or another group target or whoever gets gets hacked and members have to replace their cards, it's the credit union that, that puts the bill on that, as I recall, right? Yeah, exactly right. The credit union puts the bill. And I recall, I forgot which big, spot, big box retailer, when they had a massive data breach on their website, they had a big message from the CEO saying, oh, you'll be made whole, you'll be taken. <laughs> and it both wasn't the retailer that was taken care of, it was the credit union or the bank that had to make them whole. And, and it was just a you know, kabuki, a little bait and switch in, in their messaging, but it was probably effective in terms of not, you know, getting customers upset. And so you're exactly right. To replace cards are, is even more expensive now because they're very, you know, high tech uh, cards, you know, tap and goes and everything else. The chip is uh, not an inexpensive card to replace. And you have, of course, the, the labor associated with that and the mail costs and everything else and it adds up. And if you're a smaller uh, credit union or a smaller financial institution, that's a major hit, absolutely major hit, and let alone replacing the fraud that may have occurred in, in the Sure, market. sure, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a long list of priorities. It's good for credit unions that at the helm, you know, watching all of these things at the direction of your board. I think they've done a fine job of highlighting what's important for credit unions. One, so Dan, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, Vikings, Minnesota Vikings podcasts, other Timberwolves podcasts. Why I listen to those, I don't know. And a lot of business ones, but a lot of credit union ones. And I heard you on one recently, and you talked about, you know, rebuilding your team when you came in, a little bit about what you did at the beginning. And and you got into a topic about selecting a team and how you select your team. And I thought that was, it, it resonated with me with some things that I've dealt with personally and professionally. But if you can kind of talk to, your thoughts on picking a team and the importance and, and how you go about doing that? Well, we try to really focus on the, the hiring and then hire slow, fire fast. And if you take care of the front end, then you, there should not be a firing on the back end. Right. And so we look very closely. We're looking for attitude and aptitude. Right. And I think attitude is really extremely important. We can teach you about credit unions. We can teach you the skill set of necessary or provide you the training necessary. But that attitude is extremely important. But for me personally, I have a metric that I look at. I want people that were in athletics or in sports in high school or college. I want someone who was in theater in high school or college or marching band or worked on a crew at McDonald's or Burger King. Somewhere in the way your individual performance affects the entire team. And so your excellence matters. And so it goes across the board. No one wants D or C workers in your organization. So if you can get those folks with a good attitude, that are good teammates, and, and understand that their individual performance matters for the company, that's what we look for. And it has worked out really, really well. I agree with that. If, if 110% was a thing, I would I would agree with that 110%. My kids ran uh, cross-country track all year for a, a great uh, husband and wife coach team. They went on to run in college. My Oldest daughter is a doctor now, and she used to say to herself, I survived the Kranichs and coaching, and because of that, get through this medical school. But that teamwork side of things that that teaches with you. And then one other quick story tied to that. Back when the NGN problem at NCUA was going on, NCUA had hired Barclays to assist in putting that together. Well, the, the key person at Barclays was a guy named Mike Dryden. 
who was the son of Ken Dryden, the goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. And in conversations, you know, we were on these teams with, and it was Larry Fazio and I and Kevin Tenenga, some folks at NCUA who would be in these calls with these really great teams that he had put together. And, and I remember asking him, I said, these guys, this team is amazing how they work together, how smart they are and all that. And he said, I only hire Division One athletes who are A students because I know they can manage their time and I know they can work on a team. And so, yeah, and it, it's interesting you say that. It, my daughter is an engineering student at Vanderbilt down in Nashville. And because of her schedule, I've never seen anybody with time management skills that she had. I mean, she right. was a new sport varsity athlete in high school, captain of the tennis team, captain of the dive and swim team, and to manage your team and to play two sports and to get straight A's and all your AP courses. That ability to do that, that mental toughness is pretty extraordinary. But also her team, I mean, she has to perform at a high level so her teams win or won. And so right. that combination has really, really worked hard. I ride Harleys occasionally on the weekend with members of a SEAL team and great guys. I mean, they can all kill you with their thumb. But the thing is, they're all wicked smart. They're really, really bright. Right. So not only are they physical specimens, and I sleep better at night knowing there's men and women out there like that, but they're smart. The team aspect is huge, and, and that's what they look for as well. They want folks that were in high school, you know, or even college that were in athletics or a major, some major part of the team, and that team, it just works. Again, the excellent, if you're looking at the guy next to you, he better be excellent. You could die. Right. And that team component is crucial. And so it, it's fascinating. And, and on occasion, I get enamored by a, a resume or something. And you look at it, wow, that's impressive. They may not have those, the metrics I was looking for. And every time I deviate from it, it bites me in the rear. <laughs> I, I don't do that anymore. I, that, that's something I've learned over the years. Is I stick to that pretty hard, just like your investment banker that you hired. It, it, yeah, it, no, that's It's a pretty good way to look at things. It sure is. It sure is. Well, Dan, this is, you know, NAFQ's got a lot on your plate. You've, this is, I really appreciate you being on to share with my audience the priorities that you have. Is there any other question I should have asked you? Any last things you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, I just think, and I said it numerous times, it's just, I'm blessed to represent the credit union industry, but credit unions were built for this. I mean, there are going to be some headwinds coming. Inflationary pressures are still there. There's a possible looming recession. But credit unions were built for this. They're there to take care of the American consumer. And so I'm excited for 2023 and beyond. Uh, well said, well said. And so if someone wanted to join NAFQ or someone wanted to chat with you or someone on your team, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, our website, nafq.org, or just give me a call, 703-842-2215. I think I can get that handled for you. Very good. Dan, thanks so much. I really appreciate this and you spending some time here today with my audience. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Mark. Really appreciate the opportunity. You got it. And this is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 